Why are you running? Why all the activity, the things in your life? What's the purpose? How are you holding up with that? I don't know about you, but there are times where it feels like I am just enduring. I'm just making it. I really don't know why I'm running so much. Now, this isn't going to be a message about pulling back from everything and not doing anything. But I think the question to ask is, why am I running And why am I in this place where I'm having a hard time enduring the run? And and my strength feels littler and littler and littler, less and less and less. And Forrest Gump gives us a little bit of an illustration of this as we watch how he runs. When I got there, I figured since I've gone this far, might as well turn around, just keep on going. When I got to another ocean, I figured since I've gone this far, I might as well just turn back, keep right on going. When I got hungry, I ate. When I had to go, you know, I went. And so you just ran. You just ran. So the whole idea of just running, 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 why in the world are we running? And as we think those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, those of us who have said yes to Christ, how does our faith intersect with our running? Uh, I'm going to say that God gives us all the energy and strength we need for what he's called us to do, but he hasn't promised to give us the strength and energy to do the things he hasn't called us to do, which means then we have to go back and really discover what our relationship with God is so that we're really structuring our lives. And I don't think it has to be super, super complicated, but we're structuring our lives in the way that we're following his lead and we're finding that he gives us the strength, he gives us the endurance to do the things he's called us to do, things that reflect who he's made us to be. But this running, 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 running without any purpose uh, just doesn't make sense. Why are you running? Are you doing this for world peace? Are you doing this for the homeless? Are you running for women's rights? Or for the environment? Or for animals? They just couldn't believe that somebody would do all that running for no particular reason. Why are you doing this? I said, here's a guy that's got his act together. Here's somebody who's got it all figured out. Here's somebody who has the answer. I'll follow you anywhere, Mr. Gump. So, I got company. (laughs) Running, running, running for no particular reason. And if we were really transparent, uh, really genuine with how our life is moving, would someone on the outside that can see inside our hearts say that we're really running for no apparent reason? And we're just hanging on. We're just keeping our nose above the water because we feel like we're sinking as we're running and running and running. And we wonder what keeps us, keeps us doing that. I had run for three years, two months, 14 days, and 16 hours. 
I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. <laughs> that was the end of it. Some of us are pretty, pretty tired. And we think we ought to go home now. Because we're just running. And we're enduring in our morning as we continue on with our series seven hearing what christ is saying to you we're looking at the enduring church the church of philadelphia and they endured some of us know them as being the church of brotherly love and this church does has nothing negative said about them they are enduring they're holding on but they're enduring in connection with their purpose of following christ and anytime we use the word church around here uh, probably a better translation for the word church is assembly of Christ followers. And that is one place we could have translated those passages better to say assembly. Our friends at the Assembly of God Church uh, up in uh, Geneva, that's what they call it, Assembly of God. And really that's truer to the meaning. So when we say enduring church, we're saying enduring local group of Christ followers that gather locally. All of us ought to be a part of a local group of Christ followers. You're not going to find a perfect group of Christ followers, but we ought to belong to a part of a group of Christ followers. Now, a lot of us, when we think of Philadelphia, we think of the big city, and uh, there's Philadelphia, and then it, it just makes it very uncomfortable for me to say it. Some of us think of those guys, uh, and uh, I think they've once beat the other team but uh you know there's all kinds of things like that but we're, we're not talking about that philadelphia we're talking about the philadelphia that is in modern day turkey today uh, and uh, that is not uh, actually the city i've got the name of it here this is the modern city alshazar and that's where philadelphia was approximately and if you were to go there today you might find some ruins that look like this that's a part of the original philadelphia uh, it's interesting that uh, the church in Philadelphia lasted for about another 1,200 years after Jesus writes this letter through the Apostle John to them. So they continue to endure. God gave them the strength to endure. And for them, it was really a time of uncertainty. It was a time of uncertainty personally. We're going to read, as we read through the passage, we're going to see that uh, up until around this time, if you were a Christ follower, you considered yourself Jewish. You were just a completed Jew. You had discovered who the Messiah of the, of the Older Testament was, and that was Jesus. So you still um, functioned within the local synagogue, the local Jewish church, if you will. And uh, Jewish folks, for the most part, in these Roman uh, cities uh, had a past when it came to uh, worshiping Caesar. So if you were Jewish, you didn't have to get driven into all of that other stuff. You had a past. And so what happened to these early churches, like in Philadelphia, is once the Jewish folks in the church discovered that these Christ followers really weren't like them, they thought that the Messiah had come, they would push them out. And once they pushed them out of the local synagogue, then when they were pushed out, they no longer had that special treatment that they did not have to worship Caesar like their Jewish historical friends did. They needed to worship Caesar, and they wouldn't do it, and it got them into all kinds of trouble. 
these Christ followers would lose their businesses, lose their place in society. Uh, it, was just, it, was just, it was just horrible. Uh, we've talked about this before. This, they would be an example of we took it into society. They, they would be canceled, if you will. And uh, they faced imprisonment. They faced death. They faced all the horrible things. So they lived really in a life of uncertainty. They were, they were not sure what would happen, where their food would come from, whether their house would be taken away, all, all these kinds of things. And then on top of that, this area where the city of Philadelphia was in uh, Turkey area was, had historic uh, hurricane, um, not hurricanes, uh, volcanoes. Yes, thank you. That's what a volcano looks like. That's not a hurricane. And uh, they would have these, and a couple times, the city was totally destroyed. And in some of these destructions, they were so bad that the emperor actually said, until you get back on your feet, we're not going to collect taxes from you. So this just shows the destruction. So they lived in a place where there was spiritual uncertainty in the sense because of what they believed, they could lose their life or just have just unbelievable difficulties, or they lived under the uncertainty that any time the, um, you know, the walls could come down and they would there were times where they would start rebuilding everything and then there'd be a little tremor and it all come back down and in modern day we've we've seen some earthquakes there and so uh, they just lived in uncertainty and they were trying to endure trying to follow christ and you know as i was looking at this and thinking about this i feel wow this this kind of feels a little bit like where we live uh, there's just an uncertainty in everything it seems and it's just it may not be that the ground is shaking underneath us, but, but a lot of things that we thought were rock solid, granite, uh, unmovable, seem to be movable today. And we're trying to navigate that. We're trying to walk through that. We're trying to honor Christ. We're trying to follow him. Uh, hopefully we're not supposed to be coming across as haters, but there are places we've talked to earlier where we do need to say, uh, you know, I, I just don't buy into that. I value the person, but I don't buy into that behavior. And so we see it, find ourselves living on, on shaky ground, and we're trying to endure. We're looking at all the things worldwide that are going on, and it's just an uncertain time, or at least we're aware of the uncertainty. So in a sense, uh, our situation has some similarities to this church uh, that Jesus writes to in Revelation uh, chapter 3. So we're going to walk through it. I'm going to make some comments, and then I'm going to make some other comments, more of a devotional. Uh, there wasn't time for me to unpack for you all the deep little nuances. I'm going to just make some, uh, some uh, applications, uh, or we would be here for a lot longer. And uh, so you have to trust me on that. I encourage you to go to websites like um, gutquestions.com, uh, you can click on that and write in Philadelphia. You can do a little research and find out some of these nuances. I'm going to, in a sense, not give you all the little homework of coming up with the answer over here just because of time this morning. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, you can see we're, gonna, we're taking phrases and things from different translations, so that's why you have those uh, four translations, paraphrases uh, listed on the side. Write the following to the messenger of the congregation in Philadelphia. For these are the solemn words of the Holy One, the true one, who has David's keys, who opens doors that none can shut, who closes doors that none can open. I see what you've done. Now see what I've done. 
I've opened a door before you that no one can slam shut. You don't have much strength. I know that. You used what you had to keep my word. Again, they were using their energy, their strength for what God had called them to do. You didn't deny me when times were rough. Watch how I deal with those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews, those who call themselves true believers but are not for they for their lying. And that's that whole issue where they have kicked out the Christ followers. Uh, they're not functioning as Jesus as Jews ought to function, and uh, and Satan is using their response to really crush. The Christ followers weak, just living, just functioning, and and they're lying about that, and so it's again, it's just it's just very, very difficult. I will make them come and bow at your feet and acknowledge how much I loved you. And this isn't to quote unquote humble them. It's not to put them down. It's just the idea that someday the record will be set straight. Someday people will realize, especially uh, Jewish folks, that Jesus is the Messiah and that I, I do love the Christ followers, and someday that will be set right, and so you can rest in that. And often for us, that, that's hard to take, you know. Sometimes you and I want to kind of like mix it up a little bit. You and I want to take things into our own hands, and uh, that, that Jesus is saying, uh, I will take care of it. They'll, they'll know, I'll deal with that, and you and I in the same situation. Sometimes somebody does us wrong, and we want to vindicate ourselves. Uh, no, we're not supposed to be a door uh, stop, but, uh, but there are times where we just got to let it go and just say, God will set that right. I'm not going to get embroiled in all of that. Because you have kept my word in passionate patience, I'll keep you safe from the hour of trial. In the time of testing, that will be here soon. And all over the earth, every man, woman, and child put to the test. Now, there's a, there's a couple interpretations from this. Some of us uh, who uh, think about uh, end times and think about uh, a rapture and a tribulation and a millennial, millennial kingdom, and some of us who don't see it falling out that way, uh, you can take that this is talking about the rapture, or you can take this in the way that uh, God will protect their hearts, protect them as they go through these hard times. And we could actually look at other places on the globe, even now, like I said, I think I said in my prayer, uh, we look at what's going on at North in North Korea, and if you live in North Korea, it is the tribulation, and you did not get raptured out. I'm not agreeing to that philosophy or whatever, but I'm just saying, this, this is not always as clear-cut as some of us would like to make it. I have friends who have a different thought on end times than I have, and believe it or not, they love Jesus as much as I do, and maybe even a little bit more. So don't write people off when it's inside the boundaries of possibility for end times. I don't think any of us are going to get to heaven and, and Jesus is going to pull us aside and say, you know, Dave, or they might say, Sarah, Dave, you had the end times down so right that you should write a little appendix to the end of the book 
and tell how you explained it. We'll just stick it in there because you had everything right. I don't think that's going to happen for anyone. A lot of it is open to interpretation. doesn't rise and fall on whether you have placed your trust in Christ, said yes to him, but God pulls back the curtain, lets us have a glimpse, and then shuts it. It's not all explained. So, again, so this, this at bare minimum means I'm going to protect your heart. You're going to be able to walk through these hard times. And we can pick, we can find Christ followers in our world today that are walking through hard times that we would say that is horrendous. Or this could mean that the ultimate, when everything unfolds and Christ comes back to set things up, this is referring to that. Remember, this church survived for another 1,200 years. That's pretty amazing. And if you know a little history about Turkey and all of that kind of thing, you, you can look into that and see why that would all change. But uh, 1,200 years. I, I sometimes, when I read that and thought that, I go, this church is 50 years old. Can you imagine if, if this church, 1,150 years from now, still there's some kind of something re- reflects it? I mean, a lot of us hope that Christ will come back way beyond that. But it's still been a few years since Christ was on the planet, uh, 2,000 years, so we don't know about that. But again, can you imagine you and I doing things and living in such a way that that legacy is passed on to another generation, another generation, another generation? Our candle doesn't get snuffed out, and so that there's a witness for Christ that's somehow connected with the things we've done in the here and now. That's why what we do is very important today. It has ripple effects ripple effects into the future so we're not just living our faith for today for next week for a year from now we're living our faith for years and years and years if the lord waits sometimes we use the word if the lord tarries i know when we've done some building work and we've talked about it as a team we've talked about how can we set things in motion how can we build things in such a way that 30 years from now they'll say oh i'm happy they did it that way not go why did they do that? One of the greatest things about the new roof that went on a couple years ago was the roof had like a 50-year warranty on its color, and the guy said it probably will last 100 years. And all of us in those discussions said, that's great. We'll never have to talk about a roof again. So, you know, so, um, you know again, it's what, what the future holds in, in trying, to, trying to live in a way that blesses the next generation, generations. So... That is really important to us. Then we read, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. Again, we get into interpretation here. What about crowns? There's this idea that when you and I are faithful, you and I are faithful in this chapter of life, uh, we have some kind of reward system. But then there's also this idea that when we actually get to celebrate our faithfulness and our reward system, the first thing we do is we take that crown and lay it at whose feet? Because it wasn't us. So it's, it's everything that we had, did, and did well is tied to our walk with Christ. And he is owed all the praise and glory, not the fact that we did such a good job. But with that all said and done, we don't want to be distracted. We don't want to be distracted and show up 
in, in Corinthians, it talks about uh, showing up by the skin of your teeth. There's a verse that talks about uh, escaping the fires of hell in such a way that your clothes smell like, smell like smoke, but you're in. That's a person that really hasn't lived a faithful life. So, uh, again, it's not a comparison, but at least I would think you would want to live a life that you have something to offer when Christ comes and you go, Here are my, here's my half a crown <laughs> or whatever, you know, because we're celebrating what he's done. So there is this idea that we can be distracted. We can be distracted by a lot of things. The church at Philadelphia, they could be distracted by the persecution. It's just too heavy. And they're distracted. But so far, they haven't been distracted. And we know uh, some of the rest of the story. For 1,200 years, there was something going on there that wasn't distracted. So we want to make sure the things of life, the things that cause us to stumble, when you and I are running and running and running, and we ask ourselves, why am I running? What's the point of this running? My endurance is less and less. I don't want anyone to uh, distract me, anything to distract me. I want to have a laser focus. And uh, that makes me think of uh, this gentleman. And uh, you may know who is this. Is it so long ago? Scott Hamilton, yes. Olympic star. And uh, he. everyone might think, wow, he lived a charmed life. But uh, not always so easy for him. Let's watch this a little clip. I thought I paid my health dues when I had cancer, but this was a whole other issue. Um, I have a brain tumor. How do I tell my wife? And we have a 14-month-old son. How do, I, how do I tell my wife that I have a brain tumor? I'd just gotten the news an hour before. I met them at the hotel, and I, she goes, what's going on? And I said... I have a brain tumor. And she took my hands and without hesitation, she just started to pray. And it was in that moment I knew where I was going to put everything. My trust, my faith, everything. It's the most powerful moment of my life from that moment forward we just said whatever it is whatever it takes we'll face this I didn't see past at this time I didn't think I would survive one point I was starting to really feel weak And one nurse in particular, I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just was uncomfortable. And she goes, can, can I get you anything? And I, I just said, no. I go, I'm just a little scared. She said, do you pray? I said, yes. And she said, what do you say when you pray? I go, I just, I just thank God for all the blessings in my life. Do you ask him for anything? No. I just, I just want him to know I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Well, who is God to you? And I said, well, I, I guess he's, he's my father. Oh, you're a father, right? Yes. If one of your children were hurting, 
wouldn't you want him to come to you for comfort and strength? Yes. So I change the way I pray now. I ask. Uninhibitedly, I ask. I ask to yield. I ask for strength. I ask for courage. I ask for another child. Want to talk about miracles? It's after surviving the pituitary brain tumor. It's impossible, practically impossible. I did six injections a week for two years. No luck. You are not meant to have another child. We gave that to God. A month later, we found out that Max was on his way. Miracle Max. When I look back and I see all those little moments in my life where I needed a great deal of strength, I understand that through a strong relationship with Jesus, you can endure anything. I just learned that the only true disability in life is a bad attitude. God is there to guide you through the tough spots. God was there every single time. <laughs> every single time. Through a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can get through the tough spots. That's where the endurance comes from. Now, does that mean every story ends like Scott Hamilton, Miracle Max? No. But every story does end or continues on with a living relationship that gets you through. That gets you through. That little house church in North Korea where they were taken away, never to be seen again. Jesus got them through. Those family members that weren't at the church, but just because they're family members that now find themselves in a concentration camp. Jesus will see them through. Jesus does see us through in positive ways from our perspective, but not always. One of the most recent family pictures I could get of the Hamiltons, they're there with their two kids and they adopted two children from Haiti, which is their family, and uh, you just never know. And we all know stories where someone has a tumor, has a cancer, and uh, they don't bounce back from that. That's a, also a part of God's plan. Going back to Philadelphia, there were Christians, there were Christ followers who didn't kind of like dodge the Colosseum, if you will. We could look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we see uh, Old Testament uh, faith heroes. We talked about a few of those that make it through, and then we read about others that technically didn't make it through, but they did make it through. They made it through this chapter, and Christ is waiting for them at the beginning of the next chapter. Jesus is telling the church at Philippi, endure. 
endure, you feel like you're weakening, but as you follow me, as you lean into your relationship with me, you can endure. I'll make you each conqueror a pillar in the sanctuary of my God, permanently secure. See what Jesus does there? He's talking about Philadelphia, earthquakes, pillars don't stand in Philadelphia when there's an earthquake. He's saying, I will make you a conqueror, an overcomer in the presence of my God, and that is permanently secure. Permanently secure. No matter where you're at in life, if you've said yes to Christ, you're guaranteed to be a overcomer, a conqueror. We talked more about this last week, and that is permanently secure. Then I'll write names on you, the pillars, the name of my God, the name of God's city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and I'll make my own name on, own new name on you. The idea of the future, new heavens, new earth, don't quite understand what that's going to look like, but it's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. It's the hope that got those, especially in Philadelphia, through those hard days when they were just barely hanging on. And basically every letter, are you awake? Everyone who hears this should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, what the Spirit says to those who assemble in my name. So very quickly, what do we do with this? I think there's a message here that we can endure uncertainty. You and I can endure uncertainty. When Jesus writes about the door, he's referring back to passages like Isaiah 22, 20. I will place on his shoulder, this is the Jesus to come, this is the Messiah, this is the one whose reign will never end, the key to the house of David. And it's funny, when they say on the shoulders, in these big palaces, the key was not like a key you keep in a pocket. It wasn't like a digital key. Now I can like open doors with my phone. Isn't that very cool? It was this big thing you'd have on your back, and you'd have to like stick it and pry open those bars. That's why it says on his shoulder. The Messiah has that. Jesus has that. The house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one And what he shuts, no one can open. And it's the idea of an open door. I love that picture. Dark on one side, open door on the other side. And I can guarantee you, whatever this open door may look like, I can guarantee you a part of that open door is that when you are enduring as a Christ follower, you have an open door to the presence of God at any moment you want to use it you have access to god that relationship is there you don't have to knock on the door the door is open and no one can shut it no persecution in the church of um, philadelphia can shut it nothing can shut it not another person not any tragedy in your life 
that door is open and no one can shut it. As I was thinking about this, made me think, God has thought of everything. God has thought of everything. We look at the world and we go, what's happening over here? We need to be aware. We need to be concerned. You'll notice that we pray often about those things. We need to be engaged citizens of our country, of our county, of the planet. But God has thought of everything. He's not left anything undone, unthought of. In Ephesians, we read, he has thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together, summed up in him, everything in the deepest heaven and everything on planet Earth. He's got it covered. He's got you covered. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for, why we're running. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had his design on us for glorious living, for fulfilled living, for complete living, for that peace living that has the idea of shalom. Some of us understand that peace is not just absence of conflict, it's shalom. And we don't have time to unpack all that. Again, I encourage you, go to gotquestions.com, type in peace, type in shalom, and you can find out the shalom he's offering for us. That is glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. So quickly, he's got a plan for the planet taken care of. Doesn't mean we shouldn't care about caring for our planet. We should be good stewards. We shouldn't trash the planet. Adam and Eve's job was to take care of the garden. Some of that echoes into today, taking care of the planet. So he's got that covered. He's got us covered as people. When you and I say yes to Christ and we enter relationship with God through Christ's gift of forgiveness, his death, his burial, his resurrection, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. They're not the same anymore. For the old life is gone and a new life has begun. You and I get to live in the new life. It changes. We grow. It's different than it was six months ago. A new life has begun. He's got us covered. He's got all our problems covered. Jesus doesn't uh, do a bait and switch thing. Sometimes when people share faith, they say, yeah, if you follow Christ, everything will be okay. And yes, everything will be okay in the future. Everything will be okay with your soul. But it doesn't mean you're not going to have lots of bumps along the way. It doesn't mean you're going to not have problems. And the church in Philadelphia, in Turkey, had problems. Not just inconvenient problems, they had life and death problems. I've told you this, Jesus says, told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace, shalom. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
And the implication is, if I've overcome it, and you identify yourself with me, if you enter a relationship with God through me, you will overcome it also. And that language is there in each of these letters. I don't usually do this anymore. When I first started out speaking, I used to like having all the words begin with the same letter, and I just get caught up in again, so sorry. So the next one is panacea. What is panacea? I, it, that, that actually came to my mind. must have been because I was listening to Pippin and the Pastor, and it just came to me. But anyway, panacea. Some of you on Facebook know what I'm talking about. Anyway, panacea means everything comes together. Everything comes together. All settled. The answer blows your mind. It all fits into one piece. And sometimes a passage, we, over, well, we don't overuse it, but we become so familiar with it that the, the wow doesn't catch our eye. That's one reason I like to use different translations, because it kind of says the same thing, but it says it in a fresh way. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Church at Philadelphia, you're enduring you're holding on to the word. It's not going well for you. Don't try to figure it all out. Just trust. And that's not very emotionally satisfying. Just trust. I'm sick. Just trust. Doesn't mean you don't do your part, but you can rest in him and trust him. You don't have to figure it all out. You can actually trust him. And sometimes those situations were in. Actually, I'm going to say he, he never wastes a moment for you and I to trust him. If you're at a threshold where you ought to be trusting him, don't waste it. He, he, he puts it there for you, for you to trust him and to discover that he is trustworthy. When the kids were little and we'd go to a pool in the beginning, you know, you're in the water, you try to get them to jump off the edge into your arms, and the first time you've got to really coax them to do that, but eventually once they've done that, then they're jumping all the time. Now you've got to be careful if they think you're jump, they're going to jump and you're not looking at them. Then they're going to have a problem, right? They jump in and you weren't paying attention. But, but, but once you coax them, now they trust you. They're going to jump in your arms all the time. They think it's the greatest thing in sliced bread. God does the same thing for us. Maybe think of this clip I haven't pulled out in a while, but uh, some of you will know where this is going. But this, I think, gives us a hint at the way God works in our life when it comes to trusting him. You're what? I'm afraid of the water. You're afraid of the water? You mean he can't swim? Give me that. Keep your arms going. Come on. Come on. Feet and arms both. Keep 
Sometimes happens. You find out that you can actually trust God. You can stand on who He is, that He is trustworthy. Verse 6 says, Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, He's the one who will keep you on track. You need to listen. You need to see His hand in your life. Things aren't just by coincidence, things aren't by accident. Uh, I wish I could go into this story. I'd like to scream it from the rooftop because it is just unbelievable how God has ordered the steps of a dear friend of ours, set things in motion. It's too personal to share, but it is awesome. You have to just take my word for it. Maybe I'm making it up. I am not. Awesome how the steps were ordered. Can't believe it. Someday maybe I can share it. In this process, don't assume that you know it all. Run to God or run from evil. Sometimes that word shun evil, that's a little more familiar to us. Turn our back on evil. That is code word for repentance, and we've seen that over and over to these churches. Uh, you're trying to trust in God, but you're not running from evil. It's not a punishment, but it's just fun. It's just not going to go right. Have an eye set for what is unrighteousness. We sang that word, sin, all over the place in those, some of those songs. Sin, sin, sin. Avoid it, avoid it. Thank you for forgiving me. The idea of running from evil. What areas do we run towards evil? I have to ask this personally when I'm watching TV. Am I running towards evil? Am I delighting evil? Or what? Is it just a storyline? Oh, my. I get complicated about that. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't want to be running towards evil. I don't want to be delighting in unrighteousness. Your body will grow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. And the idea here isn't that, yeah, you do all this stuff and you're going to be, you know, physically sound all the time. But there is this idea, and I've seen it in my own life, when I am stressed out, when I'm not trusting, I get headaches. Every time I have a headache, it isn't because I'm not trusting. So don't go, oh, God, Dave must not be trusting God right now because he's got a headache. But I can get worked up physically. You know your attitude. It, there, it's tied together. It's just not positive thinking. It's the way God designed us. There's even Proverbs that talk about getting a sound night's sleep is a sign that you're right with God because you're at ease. Even when the world is coming all unglued, if you can sit down and sleep, you're at ease, and that changes your health, your trust in him. Honor God with whatever you own. Give him your first and your best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. This isn't the idea of giving living. If I invest $10 in God, then I'm going to get $100 back. It's just saying when you put God first in all of your life, all the pieces normally fall into place in verses 11 12 sometimes we never even get there don't but don't dear friend resent god's discipline don't sulk under his loving correction it's the child he loves that god corrects a father delight is behind all of this when god is disciplining you 
to show he loves you. I don't think this is necessarily the intent here, but I say it to the kids every once in a while when they get after me for picking on them. I say I only pick on people that I like. I didn't pick on you. <laughs> Doesn't really. But uh, the idea of discipline, when God is involved in our life, it's because he cares about us. Let's just jump down to the bottom line. Endurance, you can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. It takes a lifetime to live that out. It's easy to let that roll right off your mouth, but you can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. And that's why often when we hear about the persecuted church and we come in contact with someone who's been through that, their attitude is not what our attitude. They actually have, have welcomed the suffering because it's tied them with their Savior who was a suffering Savior. Because for them, they could endure anything because Jesus really was their everything. They weren't distracted by all the other stuff. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're enduring. Some of you, again, are tuning in from the hospital, and I, that breaks my heart. You've got to go through those things. But I do know that you can endure anything when Jesus is your everything. And for those of us who are kind of in smooth sailing territory, we need to be engaging and making sure Jesus is our everything. So when the bottom of life falls out, which it does, this life, we live on a broken planet, you're ready to have him be your everything. I encourage you to look online. You can get the rest of the blanks filled in if that's super important to you. You can see where that passage comes from. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the church in Philadelphia. We're thankful that they endured we're thankful that it's honest, that they were running out of energy. Their strength was waning, and you remind them that you are their strength. You are their open door. And, Father, all of us are facing different things in life. They come in different packages. There's different areas that we need to en endure. Some of us look at somebody else's life and go, wow, they have nothing to endure. But we really don't know that they do have something to endure. Everybody's in that place. Help us to make sure that we're running the race you've called us to run, not just running for the sake of running, no purpose, and help us to find that uh, we can endure. We have strength when you are our everything. We thank you for that. In Jesus' wonderful name. Thanks again for being here today. Again, we appreciate your generosity.